Hey everybody, this is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about different parenting styles, and in particular, how different cultures around the globe view parenting. And I came across a really nice article called How Cultures Around the World Think About Parenting. And this is by Amy Choi, and I found it um, on TED well, ideas.ted.com. If you're not familiar with what TED is, it's TED.com, and it's it's an organization that's devoted, I'm reading their, um, their about um, webpage right now, and they're devoted to spreading ideas, and they usually do it in the form of short talks that are about 18 minutes and less, and they look at themselves as a global community, and they have tons and tons of topics, and it's super interesting if you're not aware of it. So I've been looking there and found some parenting things, and then came across, as I said, this other article um, by Amy Choi at, at ideas.ted.com, and again, it's called How Cultures Around the World Think About Parenting. And what I'll do is I'm going to put the links to this article in the description of this show so you can access that readily. And what Amy Choi says in her subtitle is, what can American parents learn from how other cultures look at parenting? And the next sentence is, a look at child-rearing ideas in Japan, Norway, Spain, and beyond. So in her article, Ms. Choi says that the crisis of American parenting, as anyone who has looked at the parenting section in a bookstore can attest, is that nobody knows what, and I'll say, the heck they're doing. But despite this lack of confidence in apparent absence of knowledge, many American parents zealously believe that their choices carve out their children's futures. She then goes on to say, indeed, they seek the advice of expert after expert in their field in order to succeed at one goal. And that goal is to raise the happiest, most successful, and the most well-adjusted leaders of the future. Uh, and I think that's um, probably a good, um, this is my commentary now, I think that's, that's an accurate um, description. Then Ms. Choi goes on to say, but what dangers lay in thinking that there is one right way to parent? Um, those exist, right? So she says, how much of what we parent is actually dictated by our culture? And how do the ways we parent express the essentialness of who we are as a nation? Then she goes on to quote Jennifer Senior, who's the author of All Joy and No Fun, The Paradox of Modern Parenthood. And this is actually a TED Talk um, and it's called, For Parents, Happiness is a Very High Bar. And what I'll do also is I will put the link to this talk in the description of the show also. And what Jennifer Sr. says is that Americans have no script. And that we believe we get to invent our future, our opportunities, and who our children are going to be. Which is wonderful, but also very troubling, she says. When doing research for her book, Choi says that seniors asked mothers who they want, who, who they went to for parenting advice. And they named friends, and they named websites and books. But she noted that none of them named their own mothers. And only the most current child-rearing strategies were desired in order to best position their children for achievement for the future. So Choi says, in other words, that is what, or that is 
that which is most American about us, our belief that the future is unwritten, is unwrit, and that, and that, she says, is what's driving us mad as parents. Senior paraphrases Margaret Mead also, and who wrote actually in 1942, that in America there's only this year's children. Choi then goes on to talk about a book by Christine Grosslow called Parents Without Borders, Surprising Lessons Parents Around the World Can Teach Us. Grosslow says you don't see the handwriting in other places around the world and that people understand that there is a way to do things. Amy Choi then goes on to cite what Norwegian psychologist, I'm sorry, sociologist and economist Margaret Bjolt talks about that they do in Norway, saying that childhood is strongly institutionalized there, and most children enter state-sponsored daycare at one year of age and then enter into school and other organized activities. She also mentions how parents get almost a full year of state-sponsored leave from work in order to, to presumably care for their children. They then go on to say that Norwegians believe that it is better for children to be in daycare as toddlers. At daycare, the thought goes, methods reflect the country's dedication to fresh air. So that even during those Scandinavian winters, they're bundling their children up to go take naps outside in their strollers. Grosslow actually lives a part of her year in Japan, and she says there she lets her four-year-old daughter run errands with her seven-year-old sister and her 11-year-old brother without parental supervision. And this is important because um, there was actually just a case in the news not long ago in New York City about a woman who let her children around this age play alone. I'll get to that later in the in um, our talk today. But what she did is, like she said, she let her four-year-old daughter um, run errands with her seven and 11-year-old siblings without parental supervisions. And that her kids don't hesitate to take the Tokyo subways by themselves and walk on busy streets by themselves as well. Uh, just like there are other Japanese peers, other children their age. She notes, though, when she comes back to the United States, she doesn't do the same thing. And that leads into the article I was mentioning just before. And again, I'll, I'll include that later in our talk. And I'll also put the link to that in the description of the show. Uh, Grosslow goes on to say that if she lets them out on their own like that in the United States, she would just get strange looks and somebody would call protective services, like actually happened in this article. So both in Japan and Norway, Amy Choi says, that parents are focused on cultivating independence. Children do things alone early, whether it's walking to school or going to the movies. The frames, however, are different. In Scandinavia, Choi says, there is an emphasis on a de democratic relationship between the parents and the children. And she says this is especially so in Sweden, where the quote-unquote rights of the child are important. She says, for example, the child has the right to access their parents' bodies for comfort, and therefore should be allowed into the parents' bed in the middle of the night. If a parent doesn't allow them, they would be both denying them their rights and being neglectful as parents. Choi then says in parts of Asia, meanwhile, co-sleeping with a family member through late childhood is common. Korean parents, she says, spend more time holding their babies and have physical contact um, most. But within the family, obedience is key, not democracy per se.
Next in her article, Choi cites the work um, by Wendy Mogul, who is a clinical psychologist and author of the book, A Blessing of a B-, or The Blessing of a B-, Using Jewish Teachings to Raise Resilient Teenagers. And what she says, Mogul says that there's a teaching in the Talmud that every parent has an obligation to teach their children how to swim. And that, of course, is metaphorical. She goes on to say that we're supposed to be raising our children to leave us. They must develop self-reliance and resourcefulness and resilience, which is a challenge because we must allow our children to make mistakes. And what they say is that this is enormously hard for American parents to do. And Mogul says, parents are genuinely anxious about really big things like the melting ice caps and collapsing economy and the unending stories about violence and predators and college admissions. And she says that they displace all of these fears that they can't control onto the one thing that they believe they can control, which is their children. Next, in her article, Choi talks about the work of Sarah Harkness, who is a professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at the University of Connecticut. And she says that parents are highly focused on making sure that their children's talents are groomed for success. In her research, Harkness has found that nearly 25% of all the descriptors that parents use to, to describe their children were some derivation of the words smart or gifted or advanced. And she says that our sense of needing to push children to maximize potential is partly driven by fear, fear of that child failing in, in a world that's increasingly competitive where you can't count on things that our parents could count on, she says. Choi goes on to write that this is not unlike many Asian nations where parenting from a very early age is for, of the children is focused on focused highly on academics and, and college acceptance. An interview that Harkness did with a Korean parent, a Korean mother, um, she played English tapes for her two-month-old because she said it, it's never too early to start. And parenthetically, me being a bilingual speech pathologist, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but um, they go on to say that the parent's primary role is as an educator in this culture, and that the child's role is to respect the parent and repay them with sacrifices. In a contrast, in what Harkness found in her research was that in the Netherlands, parents use the descriptor quote-unquote smart to describe their children only 10% of the time and said that Dutch parents believe strongly in not pushing their children too hard. And she was quoted to say, people would talk about a cousin who got a PhD and was very unhappy because there were no jobs at universities and said that you shouldn't teach your child to read before they go to school because then your child would be bored at school and not have any friends. Again, this is what the parent uh, philosophy is in the Netherlands. Instead, regularly scheduled rest, food, and then a pleasant environment are on the top um, of the list for Dutch parents. Harkness found in Spain that families are focused on the social and interpersonal aspects of child development, 
and says that parents are shocked at the idea that a child would be going to bed at 6.30 and sleeping uninterrupted until the next day, as opposed to interacting and participating more with the family during the evening. And she quotes, as quoted as saying that they were horrified at the concept and that their kids are going to bed at 10 o'clock in the evening. Choi then says that in the United States, we want to be Korean and Dutch and Japanese and Jewish and Norwegian and Spanish all at once. And then she quotes uh, uh, Wendy Mogul, the clinical psychologist, saying that what is unique to us is the desire to be happy all the time and experience no discomfort, no, no discomfort and achieve. And these, unfortunately, she says, are competing values. Choi then says that the American desire for solutions is starting to radiate outwards. A growing awareness of the scarcity of resources and the potential for true social mobility is increasing the pressure on parents globally to quote-unquote parent their kids. Parenting is a verb. In Taiwan, she notes, the most popular parenting books are translations, actually, of the American guides. Yet, she says, um, Parental anxiety is a terrible idea to export. And then she quotes Harkness saying that instead, we should be learning from each other and recognizing that there are very different successful pathways to raising children. And I'll stick in my own parenthetical here, and I think that's a really important takeaway from this this talk today is that there are lots of different successful ways to raise children. There's not just one right way. I think it's about what's finding what works for you and your children and your family unit as a whole. Next, Choi cites Gross Lowe saying that the diversity of ideas really should be liberating and not stress-inducing. And quotes her as saying, it was incredibly freeing to realize that there was no single way to do things and it's totally okay to make mistakes as a parent. And out of her research, she's, this is what she's been finding. And that it gave her the space to let her children be who they wanted to be, to be themselves, and let them grow into, grow into that. Amy Choi then concludes the article by pointing out how the United States, the United States is home to lots of immigrants and who are bringing their own traditions from around the globe. And because of that, our country really is uniquely positioned both to learn and let go. And she says that American parents can recast their scriptlessness as they see fit and can draw on both global traditions and present theories. And then she gives us the question, well, will they? Tomorrow's children may decide, is how she ends. And I think this is a really wonderful article because it helps us think about the global perspective and I also like that it tells us that there's no one right way to do things um, and so that was that was why I chose to do this today now I had mentioned earlier that there was a case um, I heard in the news just the other day about a parent who gave their children uh, some extra independence and got her into some hot water now I got this article from my local NBC, I'm sorry, ABC news station that came across my Facebook page and I've actually pasted this uh, or posted it on the Kids A to Z Facebook page and made some comments. So if you're interested, please go there at the Kids A to Z uh, with Dr. T Facebook page and, and put some comments there, especially in the light of this article that I just read by Amy Choi. 
But what happened was this actually took place in North Augusta, South Carolina. And there was a working mom who had a nine-year-old daughter and let her play unsupervised in the park. Um, and she, there was an issue for her regarding uh, child care that she didn't, wasn't able to have for her. And what happened was, was this mother got arrested and spent 17 days in jail and temporarily lost custody of her child. It looks like she thought she might even lose her job and either way still faces potentially 10 years in prison if she's convicted of felony child neglect. Now a number of the neighbors were upset by how the mother was treated and told the Associated Press that this mom should not be vilified because a lot of nearby families similarly leave their children at this park. They described the the park is being very child-friendly, where there are actually volunteers that come by with free breakfast and lunch for the children, and they note that there are plenty of other parents and caretakers around who can also keep an eye on things. A woman from the neighborhood was also quoted as saying that this child is not the only child without a parent in the park. The article then goes to cite um, some words from a lawyer in the neighborhood who says that South Carolina criminalizes leaving child at quote-unquote unreasonable risk of harm affecting the child's life, physical or mental health or safety. But they also note that the law offers no specifics on when a child can be left alone without supervision, which gives police and prosecutors a fair amount of discretion to decide whether a parent's actions have been cr criminal or unjust. And the article then goes on to say that nationwide, about 5% of elementary school-age children living just in a single-family household with their moms are left alone at some point during a typical week. And this is according to the 2011 report from the U.S. Census Bureau, which notes that the percentage uh, likely increases during the summertime. Then it talks about the Reason Foundation, uh, which is a libertarian organization, and they say that the arrest of this mother is an example of how the government thinks it knows better on how to raise a child and the parent. And in an opinion piece by the LA Times, it was suggested that it shows how society is predisposed without evidence to think, uh, in this, to think black women are worse mothers. And in this case, this parent was a black woman. And, the, and bloggers uh, cite her case in online duels as well and some are railing against the helicopter quote-unquote parenting and others say it's just too dangerous for a nine-year-old girl to venture out in today's world alone. So the article is giving a range of opinions here it seems and they also go to, on to talk about the struggles for low-income families uh, and their, the difficulty they have finding safe places for their children to go when school is not in session. So I'll just wind it up by saying that this mother's next court appearance is scheduled for this September. And people have actually started a donation site for her. Um, and it looks like they've donated, according to this article, nearly $40,000 uh, through an, interset, an internet site to a trust fund that's set up for the daughter's education. And, uh, but they don't list that website here. Um, but I will post this article in the description of the um, today's show 
so you could read some of the other details. And um, again, if you have questions or opinions about it and you want to comment on the Kids A to Z with Dr. T Facebook page, um, I've already started a post there. And as always, you can send questions that you might like us to answer on the show to info at kidsatoz.com. That's kidsatoz.com. You can post questions that we'll look to answer and make suggestions for topics or specialists that you'd like to hear from. I'm hoping in the next week or so or the next few days to get a nice um, interview up from an occupational therapist who's going to talk about fine motor development and about sensory development and ways we can foster um, our kids' um, growth there. And with that, I'll just say thanks for listening and hope you have a great day. Bye now.